Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and MacLane podcast brought to you by our great friends over at Duke's Mayo. KG, it is hard to imagine that the season is over. In a blink of an eye, this season has just flown by. We crowned an ACC champion this past weekend, the Pitt Panthers, one of the craziest ACC seasons we have seen in quite some time. And who better to recap the highs, the lows, and the news than our dear friend and our Duke's Mayo guest of the week, Andrea Adelson. That's right, Eric McLean. Andrea does unbelievable work for ESPN, covering all things ACC football. Earlier this season, she helped create a powerful piece on pit wide receiver Trey Tipton and his battle with mental health that was aired on ACC Network. Guys, listen, she is in the weeds of all of this stuff. An amazing colleague and friend. Y'all are going to love this ACC season recap with Andrea. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Always great to be on with you guys. What do we have to talk about? Is anything <laughs> happening right now? <laughs> right. Well, listen, there actually <laughs> is so many. I know you know that. I know you're joking. But we, we really want to kind of just put a bow on the regular season. But there's also some newsy things that we want to address. I want to start with our guy, Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh legend. He was just named Heisman Trophy finalist. He just won the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm. I mean, he's first-team All-ACC, ACC Player of the Year. How awesome is this for college football? Not just the ACC, but all of college football. Someone that decides to come back to school and then can do all this great things. We just give a round of applause here for Kenny. I That's mean, right. <laughs> come on. Come on. Like, all anyone wants to talk about is the transfer portal and players leaving and nobody wants to stay and ah, oh, the whole sport is coming to an end. It's all ruined. <laughs> but then you get a guy like Kenny Pickett who decides to come back to school and not only make himself millions of dollars in the process with the NFL, but go ahead and set school records, ACC records, and then win a championship and ultimately get himself invited to New York for the Heisman Trophy, the first Pitt finalist, I believe, since Larry Fitzgerald in 2003. What a statement for players who make that decision to take the more difficult road and decide to stay. It would have been easy for him to say, you know what, I've already been here, been there, done that, let me just move on. The harder decision was honestly to come back and to put yourself through another grind because uh, it's a risk and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if things are going to work out. You don't know if you're going to stay healthy. I mean, there are so many things involved with making that decision to come back. But the fact that he did it and was such not only a joy to watch, but an amazing representative for pit football and for college football in general, what's good about college football, why we love college football, to me, that's what Kenny Pickett represents. So his trip to New York and I'm a Heisman voter. I cannot disclose my vote. But when you're looking at all of the things that are in the Heisman statement about what a player needs to have, Kenny checks every box, including character. And I could not be more thrilled for him, for Pitt, for Mark Whipple, for Pat Narduzzi, for his teammates, for everybody who knows him, his family, his parents. Uh, it's been an awesome 
story to document. Uh, and I'm just thrilled for him. Very well said. We've had Kenny on a few times and you're right. He just, he checks all the boxes. He really does. And the risk of coming back, he is the example for a lot of these guys, for someone like Phil Dracovic, who's deciding to come back and perhaps others. And, you know, we want to get into the Miami stuff, but you've been covering college football and ACC football for a very long time. Is this one of the more unpredictable years that you've ever seen? Because to say, oh, we're going to have an ACC quarterback in New York as a Heisman finalist, people would have said, okay, it's Sam Howell, it's DJU, it's maybe, I don't know, Derek King. Like, it's not Kenny Pickett. And then, of course, Pitt and Wake in the final. Have you seen a more unpredictable year? No, uh, never. In the ACC anyway, or at least since I've been covering the league, right? Because every year you go into Charlotte in the preseason and you're like, okay, am I going to pencil in Clemson or Florida State to win the <laughs> ACC championship, right? It used to be Florida State, then it became Clemson. And we, when we all went into Charlotte in July, Clemson, North Carolina, slam dunk. This one's easy, guys. So easy. So easy. <laughs> and it was Pitt. And let me tell you something. There have been years I have picked Pitt to win the Coastal Division. Several years, in fact. <laughs> And then, you know, terrible losses happen, and Pitt does pitting. I don't know if that was oh, a pitting. Oh, I like oh, pitting. No. All right, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to go there. Um, and uh, I think we all thought that was happening this year uh, with the Western Michigan yep. game, right? Um, and I'm like, well, glad I didn't pick Pitt. <laughs> uh, but you know, the one year I don't pick them is the year they decide to get their stuff together. But in all seriousness. Um, the unpredictability to me has made it so fun. And I know a lot of people have been like, oh, the ACC didn't make the playoff. Okay, fine. They didn't make the playoff. But the entertainment value yes. week to week, the close games, not knowing who's going to win. I mean, you couldn't even pencil in Clemson for right, automatic W's right. this year, right? <laughs> um, and so it became so enjoyable to watch because you truly did not know what was going to happen and I feel like we needed a season like that after COVID last year. We needed to have some of the fun back in the game. And I think the unpredictability brought a different level of fun to college football this year. Completely agree. Mac and I, would we said this throughout our show throughout this season. This league is so much fun. Say what you want about it, but if you're watching it, you are entertained. That's the bottom line. You are entertained. Okay, speaking of entertaining, in a bad way, Miami. Oh gosh, this has been a debacle and you cover all the Florida schools. You have your your finger on the pulse. What is uh what is your breakdown, your analysis of what in the I'll say it, Mac, what in the hell is going on down in Miami? <laughs> oh my gosh. How long do we have? Uh it, <laughs> right. in, in okay, in all seriousness, I'm just gonna start off by saying Manny Diaz was treated like yesterday's trash for no other reason than Miami deciding it was better than Manny Diaz and it was just going to leave him dangling for two weeks until they could see if they could get Mario Cristobal to come back. I think it created an awkward, untenable, messy situation that could have easily been avoided. They let him go when they decided they were going to go after, after Mario. It's that simple. You clearly... Did not think Manny was going to be the guy to move this program forward. So do everybody a favor, and not just Manny, 
his assistant coaches, his players, everybody associated with the program, to just move on. Manny was expecting it. But then to be sitting there day after day, he's out of the loop. No one's talking to him. His agents have no idea what's going on. No one has said one way or the other. He's reading the reports just like everybody else. And yet he's having to go into living rooms and convince guys why it's the right time to pick the U. So say what you want about what he did to Temple. Always paid million dollars. Fine. Yeah, that's all true. But Miami could have handled this entire situation in a far better and classier way than they did. Now, having said that, I applaud Miami for finally spending the money that it's going to take to have an elite big-time football program. That has been missing forever. So now they finally decided to do it. There are reasons they've decided to do it. They have a profitable hospital system that now has allowed them to say, okay, as a university, we can help give athletics some money, something that was never afforded to Blake James or anybody else who came through there previously, Manny Diaz included. And I think they were completely humiliated by the comments Kirk Herbstreet set on College Game Day in September. And that spurred a changing of the mind of what they needed to do. Having said all of that, it's going to take more than money to fix Miami. There is a culture of toxicity surrounding that program that has seeped its way into the foundation that strangles anybody who tries to do anything to fix it. So you can bring in Mario, you can bring in potentially Dan Radakovich, you can bring in an army of analysts, you can bring in the best assistants in the country. What happens when there are unexpected losses? What happens when they don't get the recruits they believe they're gonna get? What happens when they're not playing for a national championship? You gonna support your guy that you worked so hard to bring in? You gonna keep being positive like you are right now? Because if we've seen anything out of Miami football in the last 15 years, when it comes to mind, do you think alignment, everyone supports lots of fans in the stands? No. <laughs> you think of booing, empty stadiums, fans with pitchforks on social media, planes in st above stadiums saying fire the coach. Are things going to be different with the guy you wanted? That's my ultimate question for Miami. And I think Mario, and if it's Dan who comes in as the athletic director, the hardest thing they're going to have to do is to align everybody. There are a lot of voices who think they know what Miami football needs to do to be back. There needs to be one voice, one leader, and uh, unity of purpose that has not existed there. That, to me, is going to be the biggest challenge of all. I completely agree with you. And I think it's it's crazy to look at and, and think that this thing is going to be a circle and that now it's just going to be a more expensive circle and we're dealing with the exact same thing in three, four, five years from now. But I hope not. I, I hope that with the potential leadership of Dan Radakovich, with a coach like Mario Cristobal coming in here and, and a guy who's coming home, that there can be that translation to the field. And, and there's a couple of reasons I think that. Number one, when you have a guy who has been there, done that, we see it with interim coaches all the time, right? When guys like Odell Hagens or, or uh, up at Virginia Tech with Price, those guys come in, guys play harder. Because number one, there's nothing that that coach can ask of you that he hasn't already done himself multiple times. There's nothing that that coach can do or say that he hasn't already, he, he hasn't already gone through. And so I hope and I think that that's a transition that we can see very quickly 
But at the end of the day, as you just said, it ends with wins. Is there a positive spin that we can put on this Cristobal homecoming at all? Or is it just a wait and see type thing? The fact that Miami went out and got him? I'm telling you, a month ago, I did not think it was possible. I did not think Miami would be able to pull this off. The fact that they're on the verge of getting Dan Radakovich to leave the best situation in the ACC, to come to one of the worst situations in the ACC, those are two home runs right now for Miami. Those are two A-plus hires. The fact that they are spending what's probably going to be close to $100 million when you start counting Mario's contract, what Dan's going to get, and the buyouts. It's unheard of, unprecedented in Miami football history for them to go all in the way that they have. So everything is laid out. Nobody can say Miami failed here except for the way they treated Manny Diaz. People will forget about that as soon as Mario does his introductory press conference, right? But, but Miami has not won consistently in 20 years. Is it okay to say, let's wait and see what happens? They've got young talent. They've got a superstar at quarterback. There are pieces there. If Mario can now start convincing guys in South Florida to stay home and not go to Alabama, not go to Ohio State, not go to Clemson, not go to all these other programs, yeah, everything on paper says this should work. But everything on paper also said Mark Rick should work. Right. (laughs) And in year three, they came with the pitchforks for him too. So there has been this cycle, and you saw it firsthand, Eric, when you played there and shut out Miami, which led to the end of the Al Golden era. And I really, remember talking um, to you. Mac did that, by the way. Mac ended yeah, the Al Mac Golden did era. That. You could <laughs> argue. Mac did that. I remember talking to you in the tunnel at the stadium after that game. <laughs> and I even think the Clemson players were like, what? Like, this is Miami. It shouldn't be 58 nothing or whatever right. the score was, right? And there's banners above the stadium and all that. So they have to find a way out of that. They have to find a way out of that. Can they? With this commitment? Absolutely they can. But there has to be some kind of patience here, right? There has to be a willingness to say we're all in no matter what. We're all in no matter what. No matter how long it takes. If it takes three years, four years, we're all in. That's the change that I need to see out of Miami moving forward. So, yes, it's a hugely positive thing for Miami to do this. But what comes next is going to determine whether they can actually get it done. Agreed, 100%. And I think the the difference here between the Mark Rick tiring and, and all that is that you have Tyler Van Dyke, like you have a guy who could be the best quarterback in the ACC next year. Do you think that played a role in Cristobal perhaps choosing to come home? Do you think it was a factor there? Good question. Uh, I think coming home, being closer to family, I know his mother has been ill. I think being the one to restore the U, knowing what it takes, having won championships there, having been an assistant there when things were really good. Uh, he coached at FIU. Uh, he's recruited the South Florida area. He served under Nick Saban. All of these things, right, when you start to take stock of that resume and what he's done and seeing how hard it's been at Miami to win in this whole new era, spoke to him. 
maybe more than the current roster. Now, he's got a better quarterback at Miami than he did at Oregon. No offense to Anthony Brown. But the fact remains that he's got the centerpiece to be able to build around. He's got to bring in an offensive coordinator who can build around him. I know some people have said Joe Brady, that'd be a great guy. I agree. That'd be a great hire to make. Just let go from the Panthers. Uh, When you look at what he did at LSU, and by the way, there are complementary pieces at running back and and receiver. They made strides on the offensive line. I know they're losing some players, but the fact remains, when you got a quarterback like that, and you can come home and recruit the area, and he recruits his tail off, and I firmly believe that he will get Miami back above Florida State in recruiting quickly, in short order, then you're giving yourself a chance. So maybe it was a piece of it. But for me, this appeal of being the guy to get your alma mater back, I'm sure that was the overriding factor. And if you're Oregon, obviously you're never going after any other coach with ties to the state of Florida ever, ever, (laughs) ever, ever again. (laughs) It's going to be so, so interesting to see how all this works out. I'm with you. AA, all that stuff that you were talking about, the appeal, uh, but it certainly helps when you have such a great young core nucleus at quarterback, running back, wide receiver that you can build upon for two, maybe three more years. So it's going to be great to see. It's going to be fun to see. How about some of these other coaching openings? When, when you look at Duke, you look at Virginia, do you have any inside kind of information for us there on, on maybe where those two programs are, are leaning right now? Right now, for Virginia, it appears as if they're leaning to Anthony Poindexter, who's a a legend at Virginia, two-time All-American, obviously ACC Player of the Year. We could sit here and go down the list of accolades. Uh, He is beloved at Virginia, and he's done an outstanding job at Penn State, uh, which would be something, by the way, if Virginia hires one Penn State coordinator, Virginia Tech hires the other. to to go against each other year after year, both recruiting and on the field. But all signs are pointing to him. I know my colleague Adam Rittenberg has uh, reported that that they've interviewed him. And to me, he makes the most logical sense because I think he would be completely embraced by that fan base. That's who the fan base wants. And again, you never want the fan base running the search. But Carla Williams knows what she's doing and she knows what – good football looks like. Uh, And so to me, I'd be shocked if he wasn't the guy that ultimately ends up at Virginia. Duke is a little bit more of a a wild card situation. We know that Clemson offensive coordinator has interviewed at both Virginia and Duke. You know, we can confirm that, Um, you know, Tony emerged as a strong candidate for Duke. uh, But the folks I've talked to at Duke have said they're going to take their time. They're not in any rush right now. There were a couple of option coaches uh, that potentially they were looking at. Maybe a Todd Munkin um, is somebody that that has caught their attention. I know there were a couple of guys, a Mike Elko at AM, uh, whose name came up, maybe a Jim Knowles. The name I've heard most consistently is Tony, uh, but that doesn't mean that something hasn't changed because they are going to have uh, a wide search. It's not just going to be like Miami. We know we want Mario. That's who we're going to get. They want to go ahead and do their due diligence. And if you're Nina King, you're the new athletic director there. You're just getting your feet wet as an athletic director, unlike Carla, who's now been there and established. Uh, uh, I think she should you know, take her time. There's no rush here. I know signing day is coming up, but 
when you're Duke and you are where you are right now, you got to make sure you're getting this one right. Um, and so taking your time to figure that one out, I have no problem with that. Yeah. And, and when you, when you're looking at Virginia and, you know, coach Poindexter coming in, any insight on offensive coordinator, who, who he would bring with them? Cause it sounds like a nigh is going to retire. I think I saw that. I might not be correct there. Uh, but it's such a unique offense and you've got to think it's almost impossible to replicate. So any, any word or any thoughts on maybe who they would bring in to BOC? It's a good it's a good question. I think once the hire is made, we'll probably have a, a little bit better idea. But you know, Virginia now has lost a bunch of guys to the transfer portal. So this offense is going to look different potentially uh, with personnel. Definitely will look different with personnel. But then depending on what direction they end up going in, because you're right, it is such a unique offense. Chances are you're probably going to have to change things up a little bit and that might require a little bit more of a transition period defensively you have to feel really good about what Anthony's going to bring to the table there because of some of the deficiencies that we saw defensively um and I know there was some scuttlebutt among um assistant coaches that perhaps Bronco was told maybe he had to make some changes on the defensive side and he didn't really want to so he decided you know what it might be best for me to take a step back right now I understand where Bronco was coming from in everything that he said. He's not the only coach that has told me, I don't like the direction that college football has gone. I don't feel like I fit into this whole new world right now. I need to sit back and reevaluate who I am, what I need to do, if this is something that I, I want to do right now. Um, but there may have been other factors uh, in, involved in that. So, it's a great question, Eric. Um, I, But again, I would not be surprised if they take the offense in a slightly different direction just because of how unique it is and because of the personnel losses they're going to have. This is crazy. I mean, we have so many, there's just so many moving parts right now in the ACC. Who knows what it's all going to look like. But let's talk about Brent Venables, Andre, because he's left for Oklahoma, something that, you know, makes a lot of sense. He loves Oklahoma. You don't turn down the head coaching job at Oklahoma. Where does Clemson go from here, do you think? I'm going to defer on Eric. He's probably got his <laughs> own list of candidates right now for who would be the best fit right there uh, at Clemson. Okay, let's, let's change the question a little bit. How about can Clemson get back to – let's just ask this. Can Clemson get back to a playoff without Brent Venables? Absolutely. They okay. still have the most talented team in the ACC. Let's start off by saying this. Look, this is no knock on Pitt or Wake or NC State. But Clemson does have the most talent in the ACC. And they'll probably have the most talent coming back in the ACC. I know their recruiting class right now is maybe a couple spots below North Carolina. But it's about where they, they usually are. The bigger question with Venables is there are some people who believe that he was like a co-head coach, right, with Dabo, that they were so in sync with everything that they were doing, with the way that they handled the players and the team. It was like one mind, two guys, one mind. Now, the personalities couldn't be any different, but in terms of what they brought to the table, um, that's going to be a significant loss because I think Dabo relied on Brent to do a lot more than just be the defensive coordinator. But Clemson will be able to go out and hire anybody that they want. 
they'll have the money to do that. Clemson's never been shy to spend money to bring in who they believe is needed. And, you know, as Tim Bure said, there's no more significant hire as an assistant in Clemson history than Brent Venables. 100% agreed. I was at that Orange Bowl, 70 to 30, whatever it was. Yikes. West Virginia. Okay. I, I was, was there, there too. That out. I, I, I right? was there too. It wasn't fun. Not fun, right? <laughs> so the, the fact that he got Brent, who loved Oklahoma and was uh, firmly established in Oklahoma to come over and be the elite coordinator that he was for the last decade to do what he did with the Clemson defense. I don't think any of us can say enough about how that changed the Clemson program and got it from great to elite. Um, So this is going to be a critical hire. But for me, the bigger question with Clemson is if you lose Tony and you lose Brent and you lose the athletic director, uh, there has never been this much change at one time for Clemson over the last decade or since Dabo has been there. Now, I feel confident if Dan leaves in the direction of the leadership because it'll be Graham Neff who's been groomed for this moment. And I think that's why Dan probably feels more comfortable entertaining the Miami situation because he knows he's leaving Clemson in a terrific situation with Graham. It's just that all this transition is happening at one time after a season in which Clemson failed to make the playoffs for the first time in, what, six years, five years. So um, it, it is going to be interesting to see how Dabo responds and handles it. Now add in the transfer portal and everything else that's going on. This is a whole new world for Dabo. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, it's interesting enough. I, I shot him a text, you know, when this – all was kind of going down and announced and and he just said, look, you know, we're excited for this next phase. You know, we, we're excited about it. It's going to be so much fun. And just taking that next step, you know, towards being that dynasty, Alabama does this every year, you know? So if, if you want to be in that realm, this is what it takes. You, your coaches will leave. Your coaches will get better opportunities. Now, I don't know about ADs leaving every other year, but uh, it, it's certainly something that these Tigers and, and Dabo Sweeney are attacking head on. I want to get your thoughts on, on Wake Forest real quick. Dave Clawson has done special things there. This is their sixth straight bowl. The financial commitment, not only to coach and his extension, but also to facilities and what they're doing as a program there. It should be great momentum for the Deeks going into 22. No doubt. And you guys know this as well, or maybe better than I do. Dave Clawson, hands down, is one of the best coaches in all of college football. There have been programs beyond Virginia Tech, that have come after him over the last several years. And he believes in what he is doing there. And I had this conversation with somebody who's not an ACC person, but just a college football fan in general. Why wouldn't Clawson just leave? And I said, with what he's built there, the commitment that they have, and the fact that he doesn't have to be competing for national championships every year and have that pressure Every single day, if I don't win this game, I might be fired. He has got an incredible situation with the way that he has the support of everybody, but also time to build it the way that he wants it done. It is so rare and unique to have that kind of setup where you do have the financial commitment, but you've also got the time and patience and support to be able to do it. 
Wake Forest didn't just wake up one day in August and become a team that was going to play for an ACC championship, right? This took time and patience and years of development to get to this point. And it wouldn't have happened if Dave had fans and the AD in his ear every day saying, why aren't we winning more? Why aren't we winning this year? Why do we lose this game? Why do we do this? So I think he's got an amazing situation and the recommitment and the financial stability. His family loves it there. Uh, He's well-established and he can grow and develop players the way that he wants to at a place that he believes in. Why would you go somewhere else? Everything on paper says, yeah, I've got a great job at Wake Forest. And he's proven that they can compete for championships there. So keep building it. Keep keep getting yourself into a situation where, okay, you now you've taken another step, but there's another step to take and see if you can do that. I think he can. I have the utmost respect for him. He's one of my favorite coaches in the league. I have so many great conversations with him beyond football. Uh, he's smart. He's well-respected. His players uh, appreciate him. Uh, and I just think that now he's going to have even more momentum with recruiting and proof to show people that we can do it here at Wake Forest. No doubt. Well said. Okay, speaking of Wake, this is kind of a crazy question that was not on our rundown, but has to do with NC State. (laughs) And it just kind of hit me, this epiphany, because we talk about, we go to Charlotte every year and we say, all right, is it Clemson or FSU? And really this year, or the past couple years it's been, is it Clemson or the field to win the Atlantic? Here's the question. Wake, they had a great year. They're going to lose a lot of these super seniors. They're going to be rebuilding a little bit. We assume Sam Hartman will come back, but we don't know. Clemson, with all this turnover at the top, DJU still struggling a bit, and a lot of defensive guys moving on, you've got that. Here's the question. Is NC State, could you make the argument that NC State should be the favorite to win the Atlantic next season? And I'll give you the floor. Did you talk to Dave Doran before we had this conversation? <laughs> yeah, so we talk, we talk daily, Dave and I do. <laughs> uh, hopefully more than just whether they're getting the respect that they deserve. <laughs> Uh, in all seriousness, they're going to be losing. I know they're bringing back the core of their defense and they have had, I think an underrated defense, at least from a national respect. So when we talk about respect and all of that, I understand some of where Dave is coming from because I had coaches tell me, and it's probably the same for you, Eric, that NC state's defense was for real and the best defense that, that they faced this year. These are some assistants who didn't play Clemson because I think Clemson had you know the, be- the best right. defense but NC State and they lost a bunch of guys to injury and yet they were still playing at a high level so they got a bunch of guys coming back both injured players and guys who had terrific all ACC seasons um, so you can certainly make that argument but I guarantee you when people show up in Charlotte Clemson is going to be the team that ends up as the favorite in the Atlantic. But should they be? Because State's coming. They're bringing back everyone. And all these guys are posting on Twitter, let's run it back. Let's do it. And, I mean, they could have a 10-win season, second time ever. I yes, believe. I know. I think they have a lot of momentum. I, I wrote down all of these key points about NC State, right? They've only won 10 or more games once in their entire history. Crazy. Oh, my. It's crazy. Is, is this even like? The law of the right? wolf. Yeah. NC State, you know, bleep, uh, as, as people like to say about them. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and, by the way, NC State bleep 
does apply to this year because when you beat Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State in the same <laughs> right. year and you still don't get to play in the ACC championship game yeah. because you're... And pair that with the baseball. Right? Yes. Like these poor people. Just think, they're like inches short of an onside kick against Wake Forest that could have determined whether they play for an ACC championship. It did. If they go ahead and score there, they are in Charlotte. Um, so anyway, you make a good argument. You really make a good argument. I think... People have to get past what I just said. The fact that NC State has been in position to do this, and it's been like Pitt. Something happens to where you (laughs) think it's going to be the year, and then it's not. So maybe... But maybe Pitt broke the curse. Maybe Pitt broke the curse. Maybe Pitt broke the curse, and a school like NC State now, who has had similar situations to Pitt, We'll be like, well, I mean, shoot, let's break the curse ourselves. It's, a, it's something for me to ponder, Kelly. <laughs> now that now that you've brought it into uh, being by mentioning that, uh, I, I certainly will consider NC State as a favorite. There, I was not, I did not before, but you make some excellent points. There you I, go. I, I, I'm looking forward to the article. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, you, you might have to answer that really quickly, so get ready. Uh, let's go to Florida State. Uh, <laughs> they started 0-4. The sky was falling. Everybody's getting fired. Coach players are transferring. The season's over. Uh, and then they turn it around. And, and they won five out of seven. They finished really strongly. Um, you know, found an identity running the football. What did you see from them and, and really just how – how were they able to come together as a team and, and turn this thing around? It's similar to what we talked about with Miami in that the players didn't give up and they didn't quit. And it would have been easy for them at 0-4 and everyone yelling about how bad they are and that Mike Norvell should be fired, which he was never going to be fired. Florida State can't go there again. So that was never going to happen. But again... All that negativity and people telling you you're bad and how could you lose to Jacksonville State, it would have been easy for them to just go 2-10 and 10 or 3-9 and nine or, you know, whatever. So the fact that they showed heart and fight, to me, reflected on Mike Norvell. And by the way, the way that Mike Norvell handled everything publicly in the media, answering every question... I got interviews with him when I thought maybe he'd say, no, I don't want to do it. Answered every question, took responsibility, accountability, showed the passion and fire that he needed to when saying we're going to get this turned around. When you think about some of the games that they lost, this could very easily have been a 7-5 and team this year. Um, They lost some close games, but they also won some close games, which again shows you the growth that we haven't seen from Florida State. Uh, in recent years. I I think the mindset has changed. I think there's a different mentality there. I think now they believe they can win close games. Uh, Before, I'm not sure that they believed that headed into the season. Uh, You saw toughness, physicality, imposing their will on people. Hadn't seen that in a really long time. Look at their defensive line and the way those guys played. And I know they got a lot of their production from transfers, but when the roster was so bare because they had so many of the recruiting classes uh, get just absolutely destroyed by all of the coaching changes and guys entering the transfer portal, you need some transfers to come in there. And for me, Jermaine Johnson 
and Mackenzie Milton and Keir Thomas, while, you know, Jermaine was an incredible contributor on the field, it's what they also did off the field in the leadership and changing the culture in that locker room that to me gives me hope that Florida State has turned a corner, that they know what it takes to work, they know what it takes to, to win, and that they're going to be more determined than ever in this offseason to put in the type of work that's required. For so long, Florida State had this mentality of we're just Florida State and we're just going to beat everyone no matter what because we've got the best players. It's not like that anymore after you've been humbled the last few years. And so now I think there's been this uh, more accountability in, in the locker room and in the weight room and a, a true understanding of what it means to be competitive. I love the way they ran the ball this year. They got a lot of key players coming back there. I don't know what Jordan Travis is going to do. I think he's coming back. Um, but if you've got him and those running backs and some of those strong players in the offensive line to build around, you actually have an identity for the first time headed into an offseason. And that is a, a huge positive for Florida State, even though they are losing some of their really good players on defense. No doubt. I, I really can't wait for next year. And you're, you're the best with all this info. We know that you have to get to uh, another commitment because it's a crazy time right now. But this Mac wrote this. This is not on me. But you got to answer it. Well, I guess you could say I'm out. Bye. But if you have to predict now, who is playing in Charlotte next year? Sorry. As she, a Mac question. As she falls and she's leaving. Okay. <laughs> this is the end. <laughs> the end of the interview. Oh, see, this is why you warmed me up with NC State. That's right. This is, now you gave me something to think about. That's right. You gave me something right. to think about. All right. We just had this long spiel about Miami, <laughs> but I'm going to say Miami's probably going to be the preseason favorite in the Coast. Of course, division. every year, of course. Okay. But with who they have coming back, right? Who else has that talent at quarterback in the Coastal? Right. Returning. Okay, so Miami, we'll go with Miami, but I will reserve okay. the right to change this. Of course, in of seven course, months. of course, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> so there's still seven months to go before Charlotte, seven and a half months. Uh, so we'll see who stays on, who Mario hires, but right now, with that young talent on offense returning, I really like what Miami has, and which is why Manny wanted right. another year. Okay, Miami. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I heard you about NC State. And again, I reserve the right. But I, I feel like this season has re-energized Dabo in a way that um, winning didn't. You know, like it awakened mm. something in, in Dabo, I think, to uh, bring Clemson to a point where people will stop questioning the program. Uh, and and people will see that oh y'all thought we were gone y'all thought y'all thought you killed the beast <laughs> no no sir Clemson's gonna be back so we'll go with Clemson Miami there you go Miami Clemson makes a lot of sense which means it will end up being Virginia Tech and Boston <laughs> all right. College all right great just Pencil as we all down. thought hey, hey this was so much fun thank you for the time every aspect of this season just breaking it down and, and news that's going on can't thank you enough for joining us today I love you guys thanks for having me
Andrea Adelson, that was such great information. Oh my gosh, we could have talked to her forever and ever, but she had to get to some Miami stuff. She had to go get to some press conferences and all that. Her thoughts on Miami, Clemson, NC State, Wake, Florida State, everybody. She's so good. Make sure you're following her on social media and all that because she truly is one of the best in the biz, Mac. She just gets after it and works so hard. And, and what's so funny is I love how I, I reflect back on our days as as player reporter and, and the relationship that we had and just felt like somebody you know I could trust that cared about it, cared about the sport. Yeah. It wasn't just out to get a story or, or to be first at something. She diligently wants to get the entire aspect of a story before she goes with it. She asks great questions always. And now as a coworker, as a colleague, it's just, it's truly amazing to work with her. She's one of the best in the business. She is. And we loved having her on our show today. And uh, every day is brought to you by our good friends over at Duke's Mayo. We've told you the story of Eugenia Duke and she made sandwiches in her home kitchen to sell to army canteens during World War One, right here in Greenville, South Carolina. And the soldiers loved it so much they wrote back to her saying, can we get some more mayo? Can we get some more of this? And she began bottling it and selling it. And we received our Duke's Mayo uh, little packs of all the stuff this week back. Oh my goodness. I am such a mustard person as well as mayo. (laughs) The chipotle mustard, I can't wait. The Carolina gold barbecue sauce. There are so many options. I mean, look, their mayo is the best. You have to have that mayo in your fridge. But they also have so many other excellent items that you need to check out at dukesmayo.com. KG, listen, I posted the the picture of the the swag box that had the, the fun food in it as well. And a picture of the the condiments that they send me, all the different flavors. People are losing their minds on social media saying, I'm so jealous. I want one. Send me one here. The one that popped up the most that people are, I guess, are just jacked up about is the habanero garlic mayo. Ooh. Everybody, everybody wants to get their hands on that. But this is, I'm with you with the mustard right now because brown sugar oh. bourbon, Duke's mayo mustard. Yum. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to slather that all over some ribs. And it's going to be unbelievable. I can't wait to get after it. And really just to try all these. I mentioned to you guys, like cooking, it, it, it's it's an art. And when you get masterful paint as this Duke's Mayo condiments, you can just go even crazier on it. And so I'm super excited. We're going to have some really awesome things for you guys as we go through the month of December. But KG, we're getting a little close on this Y'all Star sweepstakes. How can people enter and win? DukesMayo.com, enter the Y'all Star Sweepstakes. The deadline is December 13th. You'll get a VIP experience at the Dukes Mayo Bowl. They just posted on social media, and Mac and I retweeted it. You can enter to win, and if you do, you can watch the game from a Mayo couch on the field. (laughs) It doesn't get any better than that, Mac. There's no question, guys. You have to check it out. Who wouldn't want to sit in a jar of mayonnaise? watching a football game. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm super excited about it. But guys, thank you for listening. Another great episode of Gramlick and Mac Lane brought to you by our friends at Duke's Mayo. They have added some twang to this podcast. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.